Well, it's so good to be with you this morning in the presence of God, with the people of God. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. We got a thumbs up in the back. There we go. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, if you're new with us or haven't met you before, my name is Joe Polino. I serve as the lead pastor here uh, and love being a part of this church. And there is a lot of life happening in our church lately. Uh, in the month of May, we had baby dedications, baptisms, and then as Marshall mentioned, we had church in the park last week. So I apologize if you came to this location for church service last week. We were not there. We were in the park. And as we were in the park, we, we did have... Uh, I thought it was LARPing in the background, but it was actual real swords. So I was told it was HEMA martial arts were happening in the background as we were singing our worship songs. So it gives a, a new meaning to worship as warfare. But that was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, but since it's been a couple weeks since we've been back here, I wanted to give a quick recap of where we've been this year. And if you're new, this will help bring you up to speed. We've been going through the book of Ephesians this year. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, our prayer is for God to make us one. God, make us one with you, make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is. And if that prayer sounds familiar, it's because it's the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 for us, the church, that through his message and through the disciples, that his church would be made one with God, made one with one another. And when there's unity with God, union with God, where there's communion with the saints, then the world will know Jesus is the one who he says that he is. And then, so why are we going through Ephesians? Ephesians is actually broken down in the sections that, that coincide with this prayer. So the first part of Ephesians is about union with God and what we have inherited in Christ, what, what in Christ means. And then the sex, second section of, of Ephesians has to do with how do we relate to one another as being one in Christ? And then the last section is, okay, how do we partner together then as the church? And so we've been going through the first section in the spring, and we just got done with a practice of our identity in Christ. And we practice by reading scripture receiving God's truth, rejecting lies, and repeating a daily prayer. And so that was our goal, that we would get our spiritual muscles activated by reading scripture, receiving God's truth of here's who I am in Christ, rejecting lies that are opposed to it, and then repeating daily. So that's where we've been. And where we are today is we are about to turn the corner from just our identity as individuals in Christ to our corporate or communal identity that we are the body of Christ, that we are in Christ. And so this is gonna be the turning point scripture that we are not just individuals in Christ, but that we are the church together. Okay, you guys following me? Okay, so with that as a backdrop, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And as you're turning there, I thought a lot about the verse that we're about to read this week. I might have mentioned this uh, before, but uh, my wife and I, we recently are in the process of moving. So we have bought a new house and we have sold our old house, but we are on a lease back on our current house, getting the new house ready. And the reason we need to get the house ready is because we bought our new house as is, okay? 
So as is, is another way to say fixer upper. It's also another way to say that the previous owner left all their stuff in this house. And when I say all their stuff, I mean every single room. It's not quite hoarder level, but it's like a few notches down. And so there are books and furniture and a whole lifetime of things inside this house. And so as we're cleaning out this house, mostly I'm just ready to throw everything out. Just, just trash it. Just get, pull up the dump truck and let's go. We are on a time crunch. But there's also this little part of me that wonders if there's a hidden treasure somewhere. You know, I don't know if you've heard of these stories of uh, going through an attic or going through the, uh, an old house and someone coming upon this lost piece of art, some masterpiece that's worth thousands or maybe even millions of dollars. And so I'm thinking to myself, I wonder, is there a treasure map in here somewhere? Is there a book is there a piece of antique furniture? Is there something of value that I'm about to throw away that I don't know about? And I was looking up one of these stories. Maybe I'll be one of these stories one of these days. I would love to be in this story, but here's a story of someone who found something valuable as they were cleaning out their parents' old house. When cleaning out the home of their deceased parents, an anonymous British brother and sister discovered a 16 inch tall Chinese vase with an image of a fish on it. The siblings brought the vase along with the Chinese ceramics to the Bainbridge's auctions near London, where a consultant dated the piece to the reign of the 18th century emperor, Quan Long, and noted a seal that suggested it belonged to the imperial family. Okay, so they brought it to the auction. The consultant said, yes, it's worth something. It was estimated the piece would sell for 1.3 to $1.9 million. I mean, aren't you glad you didn't throw that vase away? Well, when it was actually put on auction and the hammer finally fell at a whopping $85 million, setting a new record for a work of Chinese art. So I think we actually have a picture here of this vase. And you can bet after researching some of these, I'm not throwing out any vases that I see. I am double checking. I'm looking at eBay. I am... I'm using whatever technology I can to figure out, is there anything valuable in our house that I'm overlooking? And I mean, just imagine, what could you do with $85 million? I mean, wouldn't that help you out, right? I mean, what would you do with it after tithing the church? What would you do with it after that? What would you do? I mean, I think you could use that, right? I mean, think about the financial security, think about how you could bless other people with that. Uh, or, or just the, the take care of your loved ones. I mean, man, that would be a tremendous blessing. Well, what we are about to read in Ephesians 2 is even more amazing and more valuable than an $85 million Chinese vase. Truly, if we understand what this scripture is saying and if we believe it, and if we live like it's true, it will give us greater riches, greater security, and greater hope than all the money in the world can buy. I truly believe that. And it's this truth right here that we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. And so the text that we're gonna be in is Ephesians 2, verses eight through 10. Just these short verses right here, Ephesians 2, eight through 10. And here's where I'm going with the message. We're gonna look at this scripture and we're gonna ask three questions. Who, how, and why? Who is God's workmanship? 
How are we God's workmanship and why are we God's workmanship? Who is God's workmanship? How are we God's workmanship? Why are we God's workmanship? So let's read beginning in verse eight together. It'll be on your screens. Also, there's Bibles on the seat backs in front of you. So beginning in verse eight, here we go. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I tell you, if there is a scripture that you would like to commit to memory, I would put this before you as one that would be a good, a good starting place. So here's where we're gonna go to. We're gonna go to who is God's workmanship? How are we God's workmanship? Why are we God's workmanship? So number one, who is God's workmanship? Let's read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, we're gonna take a step back and just ask this question first, what does workmanship mean? What does workmanship mean? You probably aren't using that in your everyday language. What does workmanship mean? Well, workmanship in the Greek, the word in the Greek is actually the word poema. Poema, say it with me, poema. Poema, there you go. It's where we get the word poem or poetry from, okay? And what it means in the Greek is some well done work of art, sculpture or architecture, and it certainly can apply to a written poem or poetry. So what it's saying is we are God's creation. We are God's poem. We are God's poetry. That's pretty cool. But who or what is God's workmanship? Who is it? Now, scripture says that in a broad sense, so we're gonna start broad and we're gonna narrow in, okay? So in a broad sense, what has God created? Well, God's created everything. So in a broad sense, all of creation is God's poema. It's not what he's talking about here, but we're gonna start broad and go narrow, okay? So Psalm 19, one through four, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim who he is. Even though there's not audible words going out, we know that there is a, there is a voice that is going out that says, God is amazing. God is real. And I go back in my memory as I was preparing for this when I was 18 or 20 and going through doubts of the existence of God, going through doubts about, about my faith in Christ. And I was wrestling with questions. And I remember these moments of clarity where I would be out in nature. Maybe I would get away to Colorado or I would just pull away into the countryside and look up and see the stars or I would see some of these landscapes, like a sunset, and I would actually not see them on my screensaver, but actually be out 
and experiencing them. And I would just have these moments of my questions were not magically answered, but there was this unquestionable reality within me that even if I was unsure about what I believed in that moment about Jesus, I knew there was a God. I knew there was something behind there. Have you guys experienced this before? Have you guys experienced this this starting point of faith for me? And there's some pictures up here of some sunsets. And I mean, literally, I was just like desktop screensavers. There's a reason why we wanna look at this instead of like our cubicle wall all week. It's because we're made for it. It's also because it's God's poema. It's his creation declaring the, the works of God. It's amazing. But more than any of these landscapes or mountains or stars, when you're away from light pollution or, man, when you're at a beach and it is sunset and you are watching waves crash over the beach with the backdrop of an orange and violet sky and you have your pina colada or your beverage of choice, may we all have that experience sometime this summer. But it's amazing. But more than that, The greatest work in all of God's creation is what? It's people. It's people. It's you and me. I think we even, I have a picture of my youngest son, Bo. There he is. That is the greatest, uh, that's the crown jewel of God's creation. You know, to see my children born is a wonder that I'm still catching up to. You know, I heard some dads say, trying to prepare me for that moment when you watch your child born, Man, when it, when it hit me, it was like a download of love and connection with that child happened is what some dad said. And for me, I didn't get that. I was just stunned, almost numb. Like I was just like, I can't believe that she's here. I can't believe that he's here. And it really is just amazing if you think about it, like how amazing a human being is. I mean, when they're first born, they're helpless and dependent on mom. But even in those first few moments, the lungs are breathing and taking in air. The voice is working and cooing and crying, crying a lot. It cries a lot and a lot more, but it's incredible letting you know of its need. And then just a few weeks pass by and a few months and that baby begins to, the eyes open, begin to recognize you and and recognize your voice. And then as you continue, like the, the, the images that they're getting, their brains are like little sponges and they're taking in the world around them. And now my oldest daughter is six years old and she is learning to read. And she is asking me why, like all the time, why this, why that, why are we doing that? She's learning to play soccer and ballet and this little baby infant is, it's just the beginning of this wonder that God has made called people. It's amazing, but... You know, what separates people from other creatures is not that we are able to adapt to our surroundings better or not that our brains are more intelligent or we have, uh, you know, more brain power than most other creatures or that we're able to have an imagination and plan for the future. Like that's not what separates us. What separates us is that we are made in the image of God. That is why we are God's poema. St. Augustine said this, He said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the oceans, at the circular motion of the stars. If they, and and they pass by themselves though, without wondering. 
Man, why are people so amazing? It's because we are made in the image of God. In Genesis 1:27, it says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So from this, we get the teaching, the Christian teaching of the Imago Dei that we're made in the image of God. Every person in the planet is made in the image of God. That means that every single person, no matter your ethnicity, your race, or your gender, is equal in value, dignity, and respect because you are made in the image of God. Amen? That is foundational for teaching of the Christian faith. And so as amazing as that is, God's creation, we are made in the image of God, but it's also that we are made not just in his image, we're also built in, we need to know God and we're actually made to work alongside of him. As it says in, in, in chapter eight, that we're looking for God's blessing. We're looking for fellowship with him. We're looking to work a lot alongside him. And so when we go back to our original question, who is God's workmanship? Who is God's poema? It says that one, creation is part of God's poema. People are made in the image of God and part of God's creation. But here in verse 210, it's more specific when it says, for we are his workmanship. This verse is talking about those who are not just born once, but born twice. They have a natural birthday and they have a spiritual birthday when they were born and created in Christ Jesus. So why does this matter? Here's a truth from scripture that is offensive to modern ears, but if we wanna be faithful to the message of Jesus, we need both grace and truth. And grace is cheap if you don't have truth alongside of it, right? So here is the truth that we need to hear. While we are all made in God's image, we are not all children of God. While we are all loved and made in God's image and made for relationship with him, we are not all children of God. Why? Well, it says in Ephesians 2.8, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Saved, what were we saved from, right? I mean, if I was to say, man, this person saved my life or this, this person saved me from this horrible decision and you just left it at that, you know, you either are trying to ignore them or you're not listening to what they're saying. You would ask the question, well, what happened? What danger were you in? Like, what, tell me more about the situation. So for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Faith, what were you saved from? Well, just a few verses earlier, we read previously, but we'll read it again in prior messages. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it tells you, here's what you've been saved from. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was the state that we were in. That's what God came to save us from. We were not a child of God before Christ. It says, actually, we were a child of wrath. Why? Because the penalty of our sin is death and separation from God. 
Now, again, this is hard for us to hear with modern ears. So the question then that most people would ask is how could a loving God do this? How could God who's all loving do this? And I would just say briefly, we've hit on this, but it's not that God did this to us, but we chose this for ourselves. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 1, it says that the poema, the creation of God, goes out to all the world to proclaim the invisible attributes of God. And so we're all without excuse, but we exchange the glory of the immortal God for the, for the ones of creation. Uh, we wanted to worship and serve ourselves or worship or serve idols instead of God. And so what did God do? God gave us over to the things that we wanted. He let us go. But he didn't just let us go and leave us there. He came after us, pursuing us so that we can be reconciled back to God. This is the amazing work of what Jesus is doing on the cross. This is why he came. He came so that he can be a ransom for many, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the good news of the gospel. But we have to have the truth right? If we're going to really understand the incredible riches of grace that God's given us in Christ. If you keep reading in Ephesians 2, 4, right after it says that we are children of, of wrath, here's what it says. It says, God didn't leave us like that. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Man. So moving on from this amazing truth of, okay, who is God's, who is God's workmanship? We see that creation is God's workmanship. We see that people are God's workmanship, but even more specifically, those who are in Christ, we are his workmanship. Wow. So how, how did God make us his workmanship? Well, if you read again in verse eight, it says that for grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so I just wanna highlight again, how did we become children of God? How did we do that? It says here, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, what is grace? Now, we might say grace over our meal. Grace might be a word you use. You might know someone named grace. What does grace mean? Grace means the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And sometimes it helps me to put in contrast what does mercy mean versus what does grace mean? Mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve, right? Grace is getting a gift that we did not deserve. The gift of God. I would say grace is even more of an expression of, wow, like not just letting me pass from that punishment. I deserve these consequences, but you're letting it pass, but you're actually giving me a gift. Like, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve your grace. Like that's what God say is by God's grace, you have been saved through faith. So who gets this grace? Well, it's available to all. I mean, Here's what it says. It says, and this is not your own doing. So this is not because you uh, showed up at church today. This is, not, this is not because he saw something good in us. He loved us. He knows our need. It says that we were dead. 
And that's because of God's grace and God's love. It's through faith when we believe, then we're saved. Isn't that amazing, church? Come on, man, incredible. And so one of the things that this just drives home for me is, is just a reminder that sometimes when we are in church, I can just speak for myself and we're praying, God, make us one, make us one with you, make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is. One of the things that can kill community or kill relationship is we bring in the worldly ways into the church. And one of the things that the world does a lot is compare ourselves among ourselves. And what this does in the church is it squashes out pride. There's no boasting. If there's any pride of like so-and-so's gift or you're saying, oh, so-and-so is better at that or like, there's no pride because that gift was not even derived within themselves. It's, there's no boasting. It's because of God's grace. And so it, it gives an a, a even playing field for us all to be recipients of God's grace as children of God, amen? Man, so that just encourages me and that's just a freebie. I just wanted to throw in there that pride is not befitting in the church. And if you feel less than this morning or feel like, man, I, I am not a performer up here. I am on the ground level with you just saying, I have experienced God's grace in my life. And if anything, I feel very weak when I'm up here preaching and when I'm preparing, it's like, God, can someone else do this? But he says, in your weakness, I am made strong because it's not in you. It's the grace of God in you that is moving. And so if there's anything good this morning, may it be Jesus speaking through, this, through his word to you. So, but you might just go a level further and just be like, okay, so I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus by his grace, grace through faith. But when I look in the mirror, man, I don't see his workmanship. I see someone who needs work. Like when I look in the mirror, I don't, I don't, I don't say, wow, Joe, you are God's poetry. You are his workmanship. I don't do that. I don't know many people who do that. I'm saying I need to work out. That's what I'm saying. Or I need to work on my spiritual life or my prayer life. Or there's, man, the things on the front of my mind are constantly the things that I'm in lack of or I need to improve on. Anyone else in this room? Okay, all right, I got some hands raised. Got some honest people. There we go, you're in church, let's go. So, but this is, so, this is what I'm saying. Like this is way, 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 way more valuable than some Chinese vase sold for $85 million. I'm, I'm serious about this. If we can understand the truth of the gospel and how God feels about you, where you actually begin seeing in the mirror what God says about you instead of what you see about you or what the world sees about you or what you look inside yourself and see about you, you see what God says about you, that you are his workmanship, it will change your life. It will give you riches unspeakable. It will be a greater hope and security for your children than any financial blessing you can give them. We are his workmanship, church. But where do you get your identity from? You get it from the Lord. In Ephesians 1.18, we went over this before. This is what God says about you. And he's praying. He is actually praying that you would understand this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Read that last part carefully. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He's not saying that you would understand your inheritance in God. You would understand that God has an inheritance in you. He sees you and he says, this is the riches of my inheritance. 
This is the joy that was set before me when I endured the cross and scorned its shame. It was for you, church. You are his beloved bride. You are beautiful. You are clean. You are being made new. You are his workmanship. Oh, Lord, come, bring it deeper. So when you look in the mirror, I want you to say, not that you need work or you look tired, you might look tired, but hey, I am his workmanship. I am his workmanship. That's who you are. And there is a process of growing in this. In Ephesians 4.22, it talks about we need to put off our old mentalities and put on the new ones. It says in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, there it is, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I can just say this, that if you feel like this morning, in praying, praying for this service, I feel like in particularly that people just felt like, man, I've failed too much or I am, a, I am in Christ, but I'm struggling in my walk right now. I just wanna encourage you with Philippians 1.6 that I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion for the day of Christ Jesus. He is at work in you and he is not finished. You are his workmanship and he is making you into his workmanship. The famous sculptor Michelangelo was probably one of the most gifted sculptors uh, ever. When he was making the the sculpture of the statue of David, uh, he had these quotes and here's the quotes that he said. They were asked, hey, how do you do this, Michelangelo? Two quotes stuck out. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. It is the task of the sculptor to discover it. So he would look at this block of stone and he would see inside of it this statue. And it's the job of the sculptor to bring it about. And so the sculptor is working on you this morning and it's your job to submit to him and to really hold still and to walk with him and to let him work with you. And then when he did the statue of David, he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved it until it was set free. And if there's an area in your life that you don't feel set free of, the Lord is chipping away and he's not done yet. And don't give up, don't give up. The sculptor is not done yet. So there we have our first two points. Who is God's workmanship? We are God's workmanship. How are we God's workmanship? By grace, you have been saved through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this last part, as we close, why are we God's workmanship? Well, it says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Say it after me, for good works. There you go, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, There's a lot to say on this, but I'll just say Ephesians chapters four and six talk a lot about walking in the good works God has prepared for us to do. So I'm not gonna do a deep dive into these good works, but I do feel like we don't wanna wait all that time until July. So I'm gonna give you three thoughts on what are these good works God has for us to do. Before we get to our vocations or our careers, the first one I wanna put before you is relationships. There are relationships that God has you in right now that are only for you to walk in. Whether that you are, the, just the fact that you're in your fam, family, you have the parents that you have, 
Maybe the siblings that you have, maybe the roommates that you have, the students, uh, the, the, fellow, the school that you're in or the roommates or the classmates. This is, this is so key or, or the marriage that you're in. So before you get to uh, think about the work that God has for you in career, don't miss the people around you. Don't miss the opportunity that God has for you to be a loving presence to them, to be a, a present parent, to be one who would cultivate your marriage. That is actually, I mean, the things that God commanded us to do were love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, and go and make disciples. Those all have to do with relationships. So who were the relationships that God's put before you? And then vocationally, I get this question probably more than any other in our church is just how do I discern God's will for my life in the area of work? And work matters. Your work is important. God has wired you to do work. And I wanna put back up, I think it was up there, a picture of my grandfather. Uh, we called him Papa. Papa worked at a printing press. So when I was in my 20s, he's, he's on my left, your right. So when I was in my 20s, I was really wrestling with, God, what, do you, what work do you have me to do? Uh, I changed majors in college and long story short, was just working my first job, trying to be faithful. And I remember my grandfather, his name was Dick Kowser, and he grew up right outside of the Great Depression. And I would ask him as a young kid, did you always wanna be uh, a, working at a printing press? Did you always wanna do that? And he would just look at me kind of funny like, you know, what kind of question is that? Like, no, but it was a job where he worked the night shifts to put his food on the table and provide for his family. And he was thankful for that. And he was grateful for that. And he would, uh, in the work that God had him to do was to be faithful, but he also, he loved Jesus and he was involved in church, but he would just have these little ministry, these gospel tracks. I don't know if you've ever seen one, it looks like a hundred dollar bill, like on the, you know, on the ground, you turn it over and it's like, Jesus loves you and it has the gospel on it. That was my grandfather. That's what he would do. He would put them in bathrooms and all over the place. He was like, hey, people need reading material. And he would sow seeds of the gospel all throughout his life. And that's what he was passionate about. He was trying his best just to do the work that God had given him to do, that he felt called to do. So that was one role model I had. But on the other hand, I was just like, Lord, like I still don't know what I'm called to be or to do in my work. And I was going through the Antioch Discipleship School in Waco and one speaker, I remember afterwards, I, I, I didn't remember what he said. In fact, I, I, I don't really know if I cared because I just wanted to ask him one question. What would you do if you were in my shoes of being 20 something and don't know what I should do for work? And he just gave me this simple prayer. He said, I would ask God if you could do something you're passionate about. And so from there, I kept my uh, papa in mind with his printing press and just, Lord, help me to be faithful and thankful for the work that I have right now. And then I just started praying this prayer. God, would you show me the next step and for me to do a work that I'm passionate about? So I just wanted to share that with you. I'll share more of my story later, but I believe that's a word for people in here who are either dissatisfied or they're working through, God, what is the work you've called me to do? Pray, God, would you help me to do something I'm passionate about and be thankful for where I'm at. And then lastly, communally, man, I'll just say that there is a work that God wants us to do together. And I said, this, this verse is the hinge point going from individual blessings in Christ to, to communal. And so we as a church are in a three-year window of going from a greenhouse to a farm, and we need you involved. We want you involved because you have a, have a, 
a gift, you have a story, you have a place, a role to play in our church. And so if you're new here, we'd love to invite you to discover Antioch next Sunday to talk more about what is a greenhouse to the farm. But I just say, man, this summer I'm praying that even with our small groups and life groups on a break, God would do more supernaturally to bring us together and unify us as a body than ever before. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, just to close in summary, in fact, I'll have the band come on up. It's just this amazing truth that we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship. Who are, who's God's workmanship? We are. If we are in Christ, we are God's workmanship. And we are saved not through our works, but by grace, we have been saved through faith. And why have we been? It's not just that we've been saved to hold on until that day of Jesus Christ comes. We got work to do, good work to do. In fact, work that God has already prepared in advance for us to do. And if he's called you to that work, he's gonna equip you for it. Ma'am. So let's go ahead and stand as we're gonna respond with a song of worship. And if I can invite the prayer and prophetic team up too. I really believe this truth is more valuable than anything I can find in our new house that's worth any amount of money. Whether it's $85 million or whatever, I believe that this truth is more powerful. And yet I know from experience that this can be hard for us to constantly put off and put on, put off and put on this new identity that God's had. So I need, we need help. And so we're gonna have a prayer team up here. And if, it's, if you feel led today, just come up and say, I just need someone to partner with me in prayer. I feel like I need God's grace to, to, to wash over me. And I just encourage you to come up here and respond. Or maybe you're needing vocational direction with your work. Our prayer team would love to pray with you about that. Or if there's anything else, maybe you are here today and you realize I'm still a child of wrath. Like I don't, I, I see the glory of God in creation, but I don't know who Jesus is. Maybe that seed of grace is just a small step of, Lord, show me that you're real and saying that prayer or asking a friend, hey, would you read the Bible with me? So I just encourage you, no matter where you are this morning, just to ignore what other people are doing and just to respond to God just between you and him, what do you need to say to him? What do you need to do? Do you need to move? Do you need to come to the front or do you need to stay there and do you need to pray? God, would you show me that I am your workmanship? And so Lord, that's what we pray right now. Just as we're starting this summer and we're talking about who we are as the body of Christ, Lord, we are your workmanship. I pray that there'd be no one here that would feel alone or, uh, or, or, or left on their own devices, God, but they would be encouraged that you see us as your treasured inheritance and your workmanship. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.